want to mention uh, before we get started. First, if, if you are just coming in, we will be participating in communion today. And so the Lord's Supper. And so if you did not pick up your communion elements, uh, then you can go right back there. There's a basket on the table back there, and you can go back there and pick one up right now. The second thing I want to tell you is that, you know, we've been through the Alpha. I made that up. Delta variant. Now I hope we're on the Omega of the uh, COVID. And so just to let you know, we are transitioning from... Two services at 9 and 1045 on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We are going back to the schedule that we had prior to this outbreak, which is 9 o'clock Bible study. All small groups will meet at 9 o'clock. And then we will be gathering as one group in the worship center here at 1030, beginning the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So uh, we, you'll hear a lot more about that. But we are really excited. Uh, we, we love the... We love to have our family together for worship, and so um, you make plans to adjust your thinking and your attendance according to that schedule. And then finally today, when we wrap up, we're, we're going to be talking about the, the, the final essentials that we're studying during this series, and we're going to talk about baptism, and we're talking about the Lord's Supper. And so... If you have never been baptized and God speaks as a believer in Jesus Christ and God speaks to your heart today, I want you to know that this commit card that JP talked about earlier, there's a space on there where you say, I want to be baptized, I want to learn more about it. So you grab that card if God, when God moves in your heart today, you grab that card and let us know. We've got a group that is forming for baptism in the near future and so you can certainly be a part of that. Let's pray. And we will begin our study. Father, we are so grateful for a beautiful day. For us to praise your beautiful name. We're grateful for our wonderful Savior. Today, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. May we honor you, Lord, not only with the intents of our heart, Lord, but with our obedience, with our willingness to follow you. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I think most, most of you are probably familiar with the odyssey of the Israelites after they were set free from slavery in Egypt. If, if you remember the way that happened was God sent Moses back to see one of his relatives, Pharaoh. And he, uh, there were ten plagues that ultimately convinced the Pharaoh to let God's people go. But no sooner had he released them from slavery than he had buyer's remorse because he realized that he had just freed his entire workforce. And so no sooner had they left than he sent the armies of Egypt out to reapprehend their slaves and bring them back to go to work. Well, just when it appeared that they would be recaptured, 
that the Israelites would be going back to Israel. God, and by the way, they were between a rock and a hard place, literally. They had come to the shore of the Red Sea where they could not go forward and the armies were pressing in behind. At that moment, God miraculously parted the Red Sea. And the Israelites escaped and Pharaoh's armies were ultimately washed away. When they emerged from the Red Sea, the Israelites were to follow God's lead through the wilderness to the promised land where they were supposed to set up shop as God's display people. They were to show the world the trustworthy truth of their loving creator. That was the mission. That was the vision. But along the way, they got tired of the journey and they rebelled. They rebelled against God. They complained about every hardship that they experienced, even wishing at times that they could go back to Egypt where they were in bondage, but as they essentially said, it was bondage with a buffet. Now, the consequences of their rebellion was that they wandered around in the wilderness like they had no idea where they were going for 40 years, 40 years until that rebellious, unfaithful generation died off. In the end, Moses led the faithful to the precipice of the promised land. They were literally on the doorstep, but he died before the job was complete. So God selected Joshua to lead them home. Now, what you may not remember about that fascinating story is that their journey was going to end inevitably the same way it began. There was another body of water between them and their destination, and it was the Jordan River. And the scripture tells us that the time they came to the edge of the Jordan River, it was in flood stage. So it was literally impassable. They had to cross the Jordan to get home, but they could not cross the Jordan. Just as at the Red Sea, though, God had a plan. All they had to do was trust and obey, and they would all get home. Now, in Joshua chapter 3, God calls a meeting with Joshua, and he tells him to have the priests take up the Ark of the Covenant and go stand in the river. Okay, and as soon as they stopped, stepped foot in the Jordan, the waters were going to pile up and they would be able to cross over on dry ground. And that is exactly what happened. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 17. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. It was another miraculous parting of the waters. It had to remind them of what happened at the Red Sea, even though most of them were just kids when it happened. They crossed the river, they're home. So mission accomplished, right? Nope. God had one more thing they were supposed to do before they moved on. One more thing they had to do. Look at Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men 
There were 12 tribes of Israel. He appointed a leader from each tribe. He had the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. So understand, the the ark of the covenant was in the middle of the Jordan. Everybody passed over. And then Joshua said, wait a minute, one more thing. You 12 go back. I've got something for you to do. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. This was not a little rock. According to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask, What do those stones mean? Then tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a, say it, memorial. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. All of God's children were supposed to be able to look at those stones in the promised land and remember exactly what happened. What, did, what was God telling them to do? Build a memorial monument to God's deliverance. Build a memorial. Now, it may not be something that you pick up on as you've read through the Old Testament, but the truth is this was not an uncommon command for God to issue. God consistently instructed them to establish these memorials of remembrance because those memorials inspired their faith and, and caused them to persevere in the memory of God's goodness. So throughout the Old Testament, we read about festivals, we read about sacrifices, altars, and monuments like this one that were designed to assist the Israelites in remembering what God had done. It was obviously easy to forget. Remember what happened after they crossed the Red Sea? As soon as trouble came, as soon as they realized they they weren't in the ideal circumstances, they began to complain. Why? Because what God had done for them was not fresh in their memory. So God was helping them institute these rites, rituals, build these monuments to help them remember and celebrate the goodness of God's work In the past, because these remembrances served to inspire Israel to faith in God and to turn their obedience to God in the future. That's what happens when we remember our faith is strengthened and the likelihood that we will follow God's way increases exponentially. But listen, this practice of memorializing God's work, it didn't end in the Old Testament. Remember last week when we talked about the fact that Jesus would build his church? Well, he built his church with the help of his disciples and all those of us who are called to be a part of his family. When he was preparing his disciples to build the church, he commanded them to establish some memorials to the work that he did to deliver us from slavery to sin and death. It was the same command. 
Just as those memorials in the Old Testament were to be permanent fixtures in their community, Jesus' instructions are to be permanent practices in the church. These are things that we do consistently to remember. To remember what God did to part the waters, to save us from our sin, to give us hope. Now, we call these memorials ordinances. Okay, an ordinance is simply an order. Okay, we call these memorials ordinances, and ordinance is an order, and therefore, the ordinances we practice as a church family, the New Testament church, they are orders from Christ. Just like God instructed them to build memorials, Jesus ordered us to create memorials. They were established by Jesus as rites or practices that remind us of his life and work of grace, that, that the same grace that led to forgiveness of our sins and to our adoption as children of God. So what do we believe about these ordinances? What are they? Essentially this. An ordinance is a religious rite that is engaged in as a memorial act of obedience. Just like in the Old Testament. A memorial act of obedience. Jesus ordered two. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Christ ordained both practices as symbolic acts of obedience which profess the believer's faith in Jesus Christ. It is a profession of our faith. Baptism testifies to a believer's faith in the final resurrection of the dead and, listen, symbolizes the believer's unity and identification with Christ. It symbolizes our identification with Christ. The Lord's Supper memorializes Christ's voluntary sacrifice of his body and blood to redeem all who believe. Now, it is essential for the body of Christ to obey the commands of Christ. And therefore, it is essential that we understand and participate in the ordinances because we are memorializing, celebrating the path that God carved out for us to be with Him. This is so important to understand. God created us to be with us forever. We are not eternal, we are immortal. In other words, now that we are, we always will be. And God's vision for us is to always be with Him. And so these memorials that we celebrate remind us of what He did to enable us to be with Him. Baptism is the memorial of identification and the Lord's Supper is the memorial of justification. Okay, I'm going to unpack that. Baptism 
is the memorial of identification where we identify with Christ and the Lord's Supper is the memorial of justification. Now let's first talk about baptism as a memorial of identification. When we are baptized, we are memorializing the fact, remembering the fact that Jesus identified with us and then Through the waters of baptism, we celebrate that we identify with him. Because he identified with us, we identify with him. Now, think about this. John 1 begins with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning. Eternally. The Word, who is Jesus Christ, was with God. He was fully God. And then John 1 goes on to tell us that the Word became flesh so He could dwell among us. The Word literally became flesh so He could identify with our plight. So He could walk with us and lead us home. He was fully God, but He had to become fully man to be to come with us so he could deliver us the process of his identifying with us was formalized at his baptism it began when he stepped out of eternity and into time and landed in a manger That's when it began. That was the process of beginning to identify with us. But it was formalized when his ministry began at his baptism. Now, do you guys know who baptized Jesus? Oh, come on. John the Baptist. Yes, John the baptizer, right? He baptized Jesus. But do you know why John baptized people? Think about this. I want you to look, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read about John's baptism and the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. This is John the Baptist talking. Why does he baptize? He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Look, John's mission was to come and preaching out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the coming of God's kingdom. And his message and his baptism called for repentance. When you were baptized by John, it was a declaration of repentance. Okay, so the people were supposed to prepare their hearts for the coming of the kingdom of God, which required repentance... What is repentance? It is changing direction. I'm going this way, which happens to be the wrong way, out of the light and into the darkness. And now I'm going to turn around and go back to the light. That's repentance. It is changing your current direction. Now, broadly speaking, John was preaching to two different groups of people. Okay, there there was a group of people who were just putting on a show. They they wanted to be seen as religious. They wanted to be seen as rule followers. So that's what they did. But they were more concerned about what people thought about them than what God thought about them. They were on stage. And John was telling them, repent. Repent. 
because you're not ready for the kingdom of God. There was another group of people who were watching those hypocrites that were sick of the showman. They knew that's not what it was about. And they said, how are we ever going to figure out what this is about? And they just walked away. They didn't like the church of that day. So they walked away and said, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go farm. We're going to take care of our families. This, uh, it, it's just too much. We're out. Now, both of those groups were in the same position. They were both going the wrong way. They both needed to repent. They both needed to turn back to God so their hearts would be prepared for the kingdom of God. And John's message to them was, repent. Get yourself sorted out. Come back to God whose kingdom is at hand. Now, how did he know his kingdom was at hand? Because his cousin Jesus was on the scene. Fully God, fully man. God's kingdom was at hand. Now, John's preaching was so powerful that the scripture says that people came from all over Israel just to hear what he had to say. And then when they heard him and they understood him to be speaking truth, they repented and they got baptized as a sign that they were turning back to God. It was a revival unlike any they had ever seen. And then one day a shocking thing happened. Jesus got in line. Jesus showed up. And got in line to be baptized. Look at verse 13 in Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But, but John tried to deter him saying, Look, I, listen cousin, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. John knew that he had no business baptizing Jesus. And he knew it on two levels. First of all, he, he knew he wasn't worthy to baptize the Son of God. As a matter of fact, he claimed he wasn't even worthy to carry his nasty shoes around for him. So he knew he shouldn't be baptizing Jesus. But on another level, there was something much more significant. Jesus didn't need to be baptized by John. What was he doing there? Remember, it was a baptism of repentance. Change direction. Do something different. It was a baptism for sinners who needed to change their ways. And Jesus was no sinner. There was nothing he needed to change. That's why God said, I'm really pleased with him. So why did he go get in that line? 
Jesus certainly wasn't putting on a show. What was the purpose? It was a declaration of his intent to identify with us fully. To identify with us. He didn't need to be baptized by John for repentance any more than he needed to die on a cross for sins he didn't commit. But it was a part of the process of identifying with us. God was pleased with him, not only because he was his son, but because of what he was willing to do for us. What he was willing to give up, he emptied himself of all the glories of heaven to become a servant, a slave, to die for us. He, he identified with us. He lived in our shoes. He faced our challenges. He conquered our greatest foes of sin, fear, and death. Why? So we could be with him. With him. As Jesus told John, his baptism was required if he was going to fulfill all righteousness, if he was going to do what needed to be done to reconnect us with our Creator. It began with baptism. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He wrote... God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' quest was to make us righteous and it required him to identify with us. He had to be one of us. And it began that day with his baptism. Now when we participate in baptism, we are memorializing, we're building a monument to the astonishing steps he took to identify with us. We're proclaiming the greatness of his name and we are celebrating that we identify with him. Listen to what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism is a memorial of identification. Christ identified with us so we could identify with him. And our identification is formalized with him is formalized in the same way his identification with us was formalized. In the waters of baptism. That's where we declare... I am crucified with Christ. My faith 
is in Jesus. I am fully identifying with the one who stepped out of heaven to identify with me. Now let me ask you a question. Have you identified with Christ? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? And have you formalized His amazing work in your life by building a monument, a memorial to that identification that we have in Him through the waters of baptism? Jesus commanded the church to baptize Therefore, he commanded those who believe to be baptized. It is the way we identify with him. So, baptism is a memorial to our identification with Christ. The Lord's Supper is a memorial of justification. Now, here's here's the reality. We've been talking about this for weeks. Let me just sum it up real quickly. Because God is holy, that means in Him there is no darkness. He is all light. He is perfect. He is not stained by poor decision-making. Because God is holy, and we are not, we are separated from Him. Sin separates us from God. And so, we need a path to forgiveness if we are going to be reconnected to our Creator. That path is known, it is identified as justification. Now let me define what justification is for you. It's really important. Justification is the act of divine grace which restores the sinner to the relationship with God that we would have had if we had not sinned. Okay? It is an act of grace that restores us to the relationship we would have had with God apart from sin. So, if you are justified, it is just as if I'd never sinned. That's justification. Now, in the Garden of Eden, you, you kids know what happened out there, right? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked with God. Prior to sin, there was no relational barrier between them. God was the creator. They were the created. They were created in His image so they could connect with Him. But when sin entered the picture, a wedge was driven between them and God, and they instinctively hid. They hid from God in shame. Because they knew sin had severed their relationship. But that's not the way things were supposed to be. God created us to know us and enjoy a relationship with us forever. So, in order to justify us, to put away the damage of sin, God sent His Son Jesus to restore that relationship. And for justification to take place, two things have to happen. Justice must be done. Justice must be done for there to be justification. What what, what does that mean? Sin has to be punished. Period. End. Sin has to be punished. Now, do, do you guys remember right before Jesus died on the cross... He, he went into the garden and he was anxious 
praying and he asked God, you know, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Do you remember that? You know what the cup was? He was poised to drink the horrific cup of God's wrath. It was the cup of God's wrath. What is God's wrath? It is the punishment against sin. God's wrath is the punishment that must be poured out against all sin for there to be justice. If justice is going to be established, sin must be punished. By the way, we agree with that wholeheartedly. Innately, we understand that if someone does wrong and they do harm to my family or your family or they devastate our community with some action of theirs, they need to be punished. If they aren't, we say, where's the justice? We demand justice and we're right to and we demand justice because that's how God wired us up. We understand that things need to be made right. And God does too. Wrath. The wrath of God is what brings about justice. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. And in doing so, his body was broken. That's why his body was broken. He was subject undeservingly subject to the wrath of God. Now when his body was broken, that established justice by the way. When his body was broken, his blood was spilled which is the second part of justification. See, the scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. Now that makes us uncomfortable. But our discomfort doesn't change God's truth. Here's the truth. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. As John wrote in his first letter, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It is only the blood, by the blood of Jesus, that we are forgiven, that we are cleansed from our sins. It's the blood of Jesus who received the wrath of God that justifies us before our Heavenly Father. It's the broken body and the shed blood of the Lamb that justifies. The Lord's Supper is a memorial of the brutal death that Jesus endured for our justification. And Jesus ordered us to remember. Now, let's just 
zoom out for a minute and think about this. In the Old Testament, when God was establishing the memorials, who were they for? The children of God, right? It was for the Israelites. They were to build the, the altars. Right? They were to participate in the festivals. Those outside, they didn't, they didn't mean anything to them. Why? Because it was the Israelites that had the past with God. He had served them in the past, delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and led them into the promised land. So it was for his group. Right? Now, the same thing is true for these orders from Jesus. They're for believers. See, because... For us to memorialize something that God did for us, we have to receive what he did. We have to accept it as our own. So if we're going to memorialize the fact that Jesus identified with us, we better believe in what he did to identify with us. So, we practice believer's baptism because we're building a monument to something that happened for us and to us in the past. When I place my faith in Jesus Christ, at some point after that declaration of faith, I should be baptized as a memorial to what Christ did for me. Same thing is true with the Lord's Supper. It is a memorial for what He did to justify us. His body was broken, His blood was shed. That happened in the past. And at some point in the past, I placed my faith in what he did. And I was justified. And as a believer, I consistently rebuild that memorial so I remember what he did to transform me. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are for believers They don't matter for anybody else. Because remember, it's a memorial. We are celebrating what Christ has done. If you're not a believer, if, if, if you can't take communion or the Lord's Supper and you, you can't be baptized as a believer, then let me tell you, that's what we're here for. We want to we sort that out. Okay, What we are celebrating as a body of believers is the finished work of Jesus Christ who came to identify with you, to walk in your shoes and lead you home. And that desire led him to the cross where his body was broken, where he took the wrath that we deserve. His blood was shed where he died for the wages of our sins. And the good news is, it was he served as our substitute. He did that so we don't have to. So the most important decision you will ever make is to trust Him. It's to believe the good news of that story.
God loved you so much that Jesus came to identify with you and die for you. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, the scripture says if you just open your heart, confess that you understand the gospel and you believe, you become a child of God. You are reconnected with your creator. It's that simple. You say, well, is there not, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to pay anything. No, 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 no. He did it all. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work has been done. His shed blood redeems all who believe. Do you believe? So when we baptize, we practice believer's baptism. It should happen after belief because it's a memorial of our identification with Christ. When we take the Lord's Supper, it is believers who participate because it is believers who have been justified by Christ through faith. On the night in which the passion of the Christ unfolded in all its horror, Jesus sat down with the disciples and infused the seemingly senseless brutality of the crucifixion with new meaning. It was through the sacrifice of his body and the shedding of his blood that sins would be forgiven. Death would be defeated once and for all. And so today we celebrate. We build a memorial in remembrance of what Christ did for us. The scripture says the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread that symbolized his body. And when he had given thanks to the Lord for the opportunity to change the world and to serve us, he broke the bread as his body would be broken. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's a memorial. Father, we are not deserving, but we are grateful. Thank you for sending Jesus. to take the punishment we deserved so we could be justified with you. The scripture says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, listen, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's a covenant that says, if you trust my blood, you'll be forgiven so do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Build a memorial for what I did for you. 
when my blood was shed on the cross. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You remember what he did until he comes. Father, we are so grateful that you had the wisdom to grace us with these ordinances, opportunities to obey and celebrate and memorialize what you did on our behalf. Lord, we do this in obedience in hopes that we will live with our reality that we are connected with you in the front of our minds. We could let our light shine in the dark world so others will see Jesus and trust him. Thank you for sending Jesus to identify with us so we can identify with him so we can connect with you. And thank you for the sacrifice that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We praise you. Amen.